You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 47 called Unconventional Uses for EdTech Tools. In this episode, we'll explore ways that various EdTech tools can be used in unconventional ways. We'll take a look at current events as an unlikely context for promoting critical thinking in your classroom. We'll explain eight ways to use common EdTech tools in unconventional ways. And finally, we'll close the episode with a special shout out segment to some people and other online forums that we've learned a lot from over the past several months. Check it out. So this morning I woke up and I put my pants on just like I do every single day and I get ready for work, but I just feel like I'm in a goofy mood for the recording day of episode number 47. I think part of it's the temperature. It's like this crazy winter blast that's kind of rushing through here in early November and uh, it's just kind of throwing me off. I don't know if that's that's your problem, but it's like freezing cold outside. I feel like it's not supposed to be that cold yet, but it is. it does kind of have a weird vibe. I think we've been blessed with warmer weather over the last like two years and we only get these little pockets of cold weather and I mean it's minimal. Um, but today, I don't know. There's just something about it. I woke up. I didn't really get a great night's sleep. Kids were up here and there. I was rocking my middle one for at least two hours during the night. And But I feel energized. I feel like I kind of have pixie sticks that went straight into my veins. I, that's that's kind of how it feels. Like, I'm ready to go. I mean, yeah, that's one of the, I guess, you know, the cold is not fun. And I know some people, my wife really hates it when it's this cold, but it does kind of give you a little bit of a kickstart in the morning. You go outside, that crazy fresh air. Uh, so I don't, maybe that's what you're feeling today. I'm yeah. excited because we're coming up on, on episode 50, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I mean, we're three away. And a year and a half ago, I would have never thought we, we got this far. I mean, we've been pretty consistent. Uh, pumping out episodes every two weeks and you know we're seeing some of our our followers our listeners uh on twitter post good things about us and uh we appreciate that very much but i i think uh you know, we could get into today's episode, which is going to be really a two-fold episode. One is taking current events and using them for a different purpose. And the, the other part of this episode is taking EdTech tools and using them for different reasons other than what they were intended for. Right. When I like this because it's all sort of under this umbrella theme of sort of unintended ways to use things in the classroom. Well, one of the, We're going to start off talking a little bit about current events and how that can play a role in your classrooms. I don't know if you would necessarily think that that can have such an educational value. And the same thing with some of the ed tech tools we're going to bring up later. So hopefully we can nicely fit all this stuff under the same umbrella and give you guys uh, some useful some useful things. Thanks. Yeah, and what really brought this up is, uh, you know, Nick and I were talking about current events and news and how he likes to wake up on the weekends, grab a cup of coffee, sit in his, you know, big boy chair and uh, watch the news in the morning. Uh, he goes, do you get a chance to do that with three kids? I was like, no, nor would I want to. And he's asking me all these questions like, why wouldn't you want to watch the news? 
why don't you want to know what's going on in the world today? And I was like, I, I kind of don't like to watch the news because it's either really happy stuff, but most of the time it's really sad and, you know, stuff that I don't even care to pay attention to. I mean, it's all this negativity. And in my life is more in the upper middle. Happy most of the time, but most of the time I'm even killed. So that that's kind of the the way that we got to this episode. Yeah, and and you're kind of right. I mean, as much as I, I like checking in the news, I'm it's just sort of like a relaxing thing, oddly enough, because it is, like you said, super negative. I'm just looking at my, my phone's like suggested news stories right now as we're recording, and which, by the way, I never checked these or even noticed these, but I did because we were talking about it. And of the four that are there, two of them are dealing with uh, politics and the crazy political environment, impeachment hearings and everything else. One of them is dealing with climate change issues and the accelerated rate that glaciers are melting the other ones on some uh, something that's not necessarily so negative but uh, three out of the four pretty depressing stuff so it does kind of seem like sometimes like there's something wrong uh, in the world but that's not all there is now, there's a lot of news out there that is that is positive and there's a lot of news out there that is kind of just news it's just there and I think that's the pocket that we can stay in for our classrooms and I think there's some pretty exciting stuff that can be done if you bring these current event articles to your students and kind of show them that the news doesn't have to be this hysterical dramatized crazy stuff because it, it kind of makes you think that that's all there is out there and it's and it's just not the case so when we first initially talked about this I was like I, I'm, I'm gonna dread this episode this isn't something that I want to talk about for however many minutes we go but then i thought about it and the news of the problems climate change there's another bridge going up to cross the delaware uh there is a you know bridge collapse somewhere there are all these uh they may be negative stories but they're also opportunities okay there's a lot of crime that goes on but that is a problem how can we get our students to take that problem and they don't need to come up with a foolproof solution, but can we get them to think about what the problem is, why it might be there, and to get them to think outside of the box to make some type of solution, a proposal for a solution. They're not obviously carrying it out. Maybe they will one day, but can we use these negative events, these things in the news that are problematic, switch gears, put it in the classroom, present that to the kids and have them run with it and be creative. Yeah, I think that's the the really cool part about this is we have these news stories that generally address something that is a, is an issue or is a problem because that's what sells. That's what, you know, people will mo are most likely to read. But like you said, guys, that is an opportunity for your kids to engage with that and then come up with s solutions to it. And of course, that's, you know, it's one of the big things in education right now is having uh, students work through this, this problem-solving process. You've got critical thinking skills, all types of really complex analysis. Maybe they have to do out outside research to learn more about that issue, which is just another great skill for, you know, analyzing and reading current events is kind of showing that maybe you have to look at other sources as well to really understand that, but really focusing in this idea of, okay, here's the news article, let's read it, let's find a solution. Maybe in small groups, maybe in large groups, but I think there's lots of really uh, interesting ways to do that. And I know for me as a science teacher, the one that jumps out, and I think you have an activity like this, guys, that we've talked about just recently, take that climate uh, change article for example, that I brought up at the beginning of the segment, you can read that, but then let's turn that into as a class project or a class assignment. How can we, you know, what is the actual problem that's being mentioned here? And then let's brainstorm some solutions, maybe do some kind of a little write-up or some kind of a project related.
related to presenting that solution and sort of guide them into things that they can learn about along the way. Maybe it's what you want them to learn about weather patterns. Maybe it's habitats. Maybe it's food webs. There's all kinds of things that connect. So that learning happens in the context of this article that came out yesterday. So it feels topical and it feels important. I think uh, this is all good stuff. Maybe we should talk a little bit about the resources that teachers can use in the classroom to gain some of these current events or some of these issues that we can be problem solvers about. And one of my favorites is the New York Times. They do an amazing job with what they do. That's why the newspaper is still around and it's not really downsizing. And to talk about that activity with uh, climate change, I did an activity called Can We Save the Polar Bears? But I took a video that came from the New York Times website and I used that as my hook at the beginning. So not only is the New York Times a great print source, they also have some amazing resources online that you could use in your classroom. Yeah, I think this is really neat. If you go to the New York Times website, they actually, and this is for educational purposes, I have a link, we'll have a link in the show notes uh, for one that's specifically for math teachers, just because I was thinking, well, math might be like the not toughest one to find news stories for, but maybe it seems the most disconnected. Um, But even something like math, or you wouldn't think a news story would focus specifically on that, you can go to the New York Times and they have a a searchable page where you it's actually under the science heading but within science there's a mathematics option and they just it's a list of all the most recent so they do it sort of chronologically the most recent new york times articles that connect to math in some way so here's one from october 23rd it's called art by the numbers another one where theory meets chalk dust flies so even something as obscure as like a math teacher where you wouldn't normally think that it fits in you can go to a place like this for you know reliable current things and it's you know it's it's obviously a well-respected one as well uh, so you can kind of have have that as a resource one of my favorites that we've used before on the show for some of the games that guys and I like to play is called silent sciencedaily.com science daily is is awesome for current research that's taking place it's called science daily but there's all kinds of things there's you know your hard sciences like chemistry but they branch out to math and psychology and and all sorts of other stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect as like a raw science so that's another one of my favorites I'll just hop right in and I'll go with another one of my uh go-tos, and this is uh, studentnewsdaily.com. You go there, it has a political topic, it has uh, some current event topics, it gives you a whole resource section of other um, reputable uh, websites that provide current events. So that's another one. We all love Newzella, and Newzella will take these articles that are in, uh, in the news and other topics and make them reading appropriate for your students so you can easily differentiate your articles. They'll still get the same gist or meaning meaning of the uh, article, but uh, it will be to their reading level. So those are two uh, fantastic ones. And going in with the science-y one, the one that I always use was Data Nuggets. It just gives you uh, real-time, real-life data from scientists and it allows you to manipulate it to come up with uh, a problem and a solution. So... Another good one that I like is called Newseum, and Newseum.org is kind of like a separate website. You can check it out, but Newseum has a specific education page. It's Newseum Ed, Newseum Ed. That link is also in the show notes, and it's it's really it's like the resource for teachers trying to bring current events into the classroom. They have articles, but they have lesson plans built around each article with discussion topics and worksheets and everything kind of pre-made. So, in like a true sense, this is uh, should be your resource that is specifically guided for current events and journalism 
journalism and analyzing news stories and how to do that. I'm going to throw two out there specifically made for kids. Time Magazine has a website called Time for Kids, similar to the New York Times thing I mentioned earlier. It's Time Magazine articles, but specifically for kids. Some of them are even written by kids. They kind of try to promote journalism. Uh, so you can check out some stuff there. And there's a lot of sites that do a similar thing. A different one I found is called tweentribune.com. It kind of does the same stuff. It just brings these articles specifically for students. These are good if you do teach at the younger grade levels uh, where maybe going to like a New York Times might be a little bit too advanced or the vocabulary might be a little out of touch. You can find things uh, grade level specific on a lot of these sites. So that, I, that's a pretty good collection of resources there. And hopefully we've got something for everybody to check out, something that everybody can use when bringing current events into your class. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. All right, so this is the part of the program that is probably my favorite. I, I love getting into the nitty-gritty with uh, EdTech tools and ways that we can implement them into the classroom. But, you know, we, we do need to stop and kind of jump back for a second and say that, yeah, this is a podcast about ed tech tools this is a podcast about ed tech ideas and integration and all that stuff but nick and i and i i know this is nick's uh feeling on it as well as mine but if he disagrees he could hop in uh we want to throw it out there that ed tech in our eyes is only beneficial if it's going to enhance the lesson and if it's not going to enhance the lesson we got to take a step back and really figure out why we're using this piece of ed tech. Yep, it's true. And um, I think you're going to see that evident in these different unintended uses of ed tech that we've put together, uh, because really that's what all of these things do. These are activities that would literally not be possible um, any other way unless you're using the ed tech in this in this manner. And even though a version of it might be possible without the technology component, I don't think it's as engaging. And I think these really kind of bring it to the next level. And that's the kind of stuff we want to focus on. And I didn't realize until we kind of made this list, but I think this is what excites me the most. And what uh, this this when you can use a piece of technology in a creative way that is different than what it's intended for, I think it's just energizing to me. And I think you're kind of the same way. When we come up with something like, oh, you could use a Google Doc for this, it's not just for writing writing an essay on your Chromebook and turning it in. There's all kinds of really creative uses for that. Um, so that's the theme we're kind of going with here, tying in this idea of bringing in you know, a news story to your class that you might not expect. Well, how about a piece of educational technology being used in a way that you might not expect? So I th- this is hopefully as exciting to everybody else as it is to us. And I know you've got one of my favorite ones here, guys. Maybe you can start us off with the uh, the use of uh, Flipgrid in a way that is different than just having your students post a video of themselves expressing kind of where they're at or some kind of opinion. Yeah, Flipgrid, I, I could come up with several, but uh, I think the best one is called a Flip Hunt and Kathy Kay. I'm going to say Kay, but I am going to attempt to say her last name. And I met her at one of the PDs over the summer, and she is absolutely fantastic. She's full of energy and full of life, and she's very passionate about flip hunts. And they are amazing. It's basically a scavenger hunt, but she does it through Flipgrid. And she has several different templates and different ways. And uh, we will put her social uh, media information there. And I'm going to also put a link to her blog as well. Um, So you can go and look at some of her flip hunts and here's where i'm gonna probably butcher her name and kathy i i 
apologize. Uh, Kathy Kirznowski. I think that's pretty close. Sounded but we'll good. see. But she she was amazing. She went over some Flipgrid uh, tips, tricks, updates during this professional development. But she showed me the flip hunt, and I think that would be very very fun for the students and I could see how it could be content driven so I'm all about this one but just sticking along with the flip grid um, basically this idea of flip hunts really sparked another idea in me and and I want to make a murder mystery using Flipgrid, right? So I'm going to have several of our teachers here at the school play our, our characters and they're going to have to record their alibis. And then each kid or group of kids uh, in the class, they're going to play our detectives. And if they want to ask any follow-up questions, they can do so. And then our teachers can answer those questions while staying close to the script that we give them at the beginning. So uh, that's, that's going to be our murder mystery. And then at the end, we'll actually have, after they try to come up with the, I guess, the method that of the murder or of the crime that was committed, we'll actually have a revealing of what actually happened, which is going to be so far to, you know, so far fetched that no one's going to get it. So, yeah, I really like that murder mystery idea. The more I hear you talk about it, I'm extra excited to kind of get that one going. I'm going to sort of build off the first one you brought up, which is the scavenger hunt theme. I love these things and it's just, it's always such a good time for the, for your students. And that kind of transfers over to me as well. It's just enjoyable. It's fun. Um, you can use Flipgrid for a scavenger hunt called a flip hunt. You can also do, I don't know if it's a simpler version, maybe it might be a little bit more work, but we talk about QR codes a lot. Normally you just think about a QR code as you scan the little code with your phone and it takes you somewhere to a website that you want people to see in your classroom. Maybe it goes to, I don't know, an answer key for your students to check their work. You can also use QR codes to make a scavenger hunt. The clues themselves are the QR codes. You start uh, the students with maybe they all start on the same QR, they scan it. As they scan it, it takes them to some kind of a question or a challenge or a puzzle to solve. Uh, the result of that puzzle brings them to a location. They, you can do this physically where they actually maybe go to that location if you've got approval to send them around the school or maybe even outside. Uh, but they go there for the next QR code and that's the next clue that gives them the next puzzle that takes them to the next QR code. It's just kind of a fun, unique way to kind of introduce these clues from stage to stage. So a lot of our kids, uh, students can't sit down for long periods of time and, and keep focused. This is a great way, both of these, the flip hunts, the murder mystery, because they're going to be moving around and doing stuff, and also your QR code scavenger hunt. They're all wonderful ways to get your students up and moving, and that is in itself is going to help the learning process, but it's also gamifying the classroom. It's gamifying the lesson, and that is another motivational factor. So as you keep piling on these motivational factors, that's gonna enhance the lesson in itself. I wanna bring up another way to use QRs. I just thought of it as you were talking. I don't know if you even remember this, but one of the, we developed like an amazing race game. We've talked about it before on the show, which just has a bunch of stages that the kids kind of play modeled after the amazing race. Well, one of those challenges was really, it was just a series of 10 questions, like a simple worksheet. They were chemistry questions because it was for my chem class, but as simple things, you could do this with any worksheet ever where there's like a really base level fill in the blank style question. Well, the way we did it was rather than them just filling in the blank, and it's either right or wrong. They filled in the blank to the question after they did some research to find the answer. But then around the room, we hung up like, there must be 30 to 40 different QR codes. And beneath each QR code 
was a word. And these words are possible answers to the questions. So let's say the answer to one of the questions was uh, Ernest Rutherford. He's like a historical chemist. Well, they could go around the room and there's a QR code with Ernest Rutherford's name, but there's another QR code with J.J. Thompson's name. Another QR code with Niels Bohr. Um, so they have multiple options for that particular question, and they have to actually find the answer as Rutherford to scan the proper QR. When they scan the QR code, it just gives them some kind of a word for like a secret message or some clue to the next stage. But if they get it wrong, if they think the answer is Niels Bohr, then they scan the Niels Bohr QR and it gives them false information. So they might end up in the wrong spot. But the fun part for them, and you just talked getting them up and moving, is these QR codes are all around the room. So they have to really kind walk around, check each one, read each one. They're not supposed to run, but they get moving quick. And it's it's just like a, another fun way you can use QRs to kind of get kids moving and add this this uh, gamification element. I just thought of another QR code uh, <laughs> uh, way of using it. Um, I do a lot of physical escape the rooms. I do digital as well. But physical escape the rooms are my favorite because it's, it's very hands-on. And uh, for one of the history ones, we have a piece of graph paper and on that piece of graph paper certain boxes have the number one in it and certain boxes have the number 10 and then I put this little um, gradient key out there where where one is completely white or blank and and 10 is is black so after they look at it for a little little bit they realize that they have to shade in all the number 10s and that turns into a QR code which takes them to whatever puzzle that they need to get to. So sometimes I do little puzzles in order for them to get the clue. They have to kind of earn it. Um, this was one of those that I did. It gave them, uh, they had to put nine different famous people from World War One and World War Two in the correct sequence to get a formula. And then that formula gave them the passcode. So you could also trace the QR code onto a piece of graph paper if you really want to get creative with that. So Yeah, I love that idea. It's, it's, there's just so many. We could have done a whole QR code episode. We probably just ruined it because we did it in this segment. But you get the idea. They're really fun to play around with. Endless possibilities. I'm going to click over to kind of a, an easier one uh, to understand and to kind of maybe get started with. And that is Google Sheets. You think of Google Sheets maybe just for you know the spreadsheet and entering data and graphing and everything else. Totally great for that. However, you can also use Google Sheets with something called conditional formatting, um, almost as a way for your students to self-assess or self-check as they're working through. The way it works is within a particular cell of the spreadsheet, you can set uh, the, the formatting so that the cell will change color based on whatever is typed into that cell. Uh, so if the answer is 12.2, if the student or if anybody types in 12.2, it changes green. Green means they got it correct. And if they don't type in the exact right answer, it doesn't change color or it changes to a different color if it's wrong. You can also do this lots of different ways. Uh, Google Forms is like is the obvious one, but I just think it's kind of cool that a Sheets, uh, Google Sheet could be used to do the same thing. And because you can set the colors to be different colors, maybe this sort of enhances uh, some of the creativity or maybe spark something that you could use the different colors that it changes, maybe for some kind of a code element to bring in a, some sort of gamification where, you know, they have to get the correct series of colors uh, to unlock something else or to find something else. So I, I like Google Sheets for this conditional formatting. So I'm going to go with Google Drawings. Google Drawings is one of my uh, favorite Google apps out there. Uh, I do something called a red review. So back in the third grade, I'm pretty sure it was the third grade, we used to make red reveals using a piece of paper, a yellow, a blue, 
and red colored pencil. So basically, you would make this secret passage. You'd write down the the code in blue, right? and then you would take the red colored pencil and you'd make um, slashes one way, slashes the other way, and then more slashes. Does it work for colorblind people? It does. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then you also take yellow, you do the same thing, and then you take a piece of red acetate paper. So this is like your red, sometimes you wrap baskets, gift baskets in this, but it's just the red paper and you stick it over the the hidden message and it will make the message shine through. You'll be able to read it. Well, I did the same thing using Google drawings and uh, I'll, I'll put the, the template in there so people could play around with it. It's kind of cool. It's another thing I use for my digital escape the rooms, but I could see it as just like a way to do a do now. They, they have like a little, it takes them a couple seconds to realize what they have to do, but once they do it, they're very excited about it. And then that could give them maybe the URL to a video or a set of discussion questions or something like that. But I really like that one as well. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. One of the best things uh, that I think kind of ties in technology with something that exists in real life as well. But the tech brings it to that next level. I'm going to lump two together in this next one just to kind of finish off my theme of using our, our Google apps. Uh, I already talked about Google Sheets and the conditional formatting. I'm not going to go super into this because we've mentioned it many times before, but Google Docs, not just for typing up that essay or that lab report, but something called HyperDocs. You turn the Google document into this sort of interactive, uh, all-encompassing lesson, really, where there's there's links, there's areas where the students type in their own responses, you can embed GIFs that move, you can embed videos, and it's just sort of, like I said, this all-encompassing one-stop shop for the lesson itself, maybe the unit itself, if, it, if you extend it out that far. In the show notes, we'll have a link for one of our favorite HyperDoc resources called the, the HyperDoc Girls. You can click on them. They have endless, endless, endless templates for HyperDocs that they've already made, and you have free access to. It's really, really awesome. Going along with that, Google theme is Google Slides. I just finished this this project with my uh, one of my chem classes using Google Slides to make stop motion videos. Um, stop motion videos really complex. There's some apps that do it really well and they're specifically built for that. But you can do a simpler version with simply with Google Slides where you know, the students copy paste one slide to the next. But in the consecutive slide that they just copied, whatever image is there, they move it slightly. And then they copy paste again, move that image slightly again, copy paste again, move it again. And as you do that, you build up this gigantic slide deck. They might be, I don't know, one of my kids had one that was like 150 slides wrong. Each slide is only incrementally different than the last. But when you click through them really fast on presentation mode in stop motion style, it looks like the things are moving. For me, this is a great way for the kids to model like the motion of particles. But you could do this with a bunch of different lessons where you want to have them show some kind of motion or just create a video in a different way. And I think there's even a way where you can edit the URL of the Google Slides so that there's like an automatic playback feature where you don't have to click next through the slides. They just play themselves. And then it's actually like a, a real video playing. When you go to publish, you can change the end of the URL where it has like 20,000 slides per second or yeah. whatever. And you change that number to speed it up or slow it down, whatever you want to do. Uh, just so you know, we had some second and third graders do this a couple weeks ago. They were amazing. They did animations on their favorite recipes. So what they did is they brought in these different pictures and they had a mixing bowl in the middle and they were adding, as they were adding the ingredients, the pictures of the ingredients, which they used shapes from Google drawings to make like everything, bread, peanut butter, that type of stuff. And then some of the other students went 
beyond the recipe and started doing other things. But they were in third grade. You sh- it took 10 minutes to show them a couple things, and then they're off to the races. And, and I saw one that was 750 slides long. Yep. So it was pretty amazing. Let's wrap up the segment with one of our favorite uh, ed tech tools that we do mention from time to time, and that is Classroom Q. So Classroom Q is attended uses to help students get their questions answered by teachers with a sense of communication between both. So if you have a student in your classroom, you're doing group projects, and sometimes the questioning from students is very long-winded and you need to spend some time there those students usually just raise their hand and they keep it raised and they're probably distracted by that but if they could type into classroom q's uh, platform they could type their name and their question and then hit submit and then the teacher can post this uh cue up on the whiteboard or whatever you use to present to the classroom. They could do it on their phone. They could have it on their laptop if they're carrying that around. And uh, then the student knows that you're going to get to them eventually and they could continue working on what they can work on. Or better yet, other students can answer the question if they know the answer already. And there you go. Danielson rubric. You get fours all day long. (laughs) Beautiful. But I had a teacher that used Classroom Q Uh, for a different purpose. She had five groups in her class, uh, so she used the free version of Classroom Q. She assigned each group a a number or a letter or a team name or whatever it is, and that's what they put for the username. But she had this playlist of activities that was going to take them the whole week. But she wanted to know where they were every day. So once they finished one of the activities, they had the type their team name in, and then they put the number of the activity that they just completed. So at any point in time, the teacher could look up and say, okay, groups one through three on assignment four, group four is on assignment one, group five is on assignment six. All right, so that gives the teacher some feedback. It also gives the students some feedback of where they should be, and it allows the teacher to go over to group four and be like, hey, why are you only on one? Do you need help? Are you stuck? What can we do to get you moving on? And I think that was a wonderful use of Classroom Q. I love that. So that's. I just also want to encourage everybody, think about some of the things that you use every day for their intended purpose and maybe just brainstorm a little bit how you might change that and use it for something else. And that Classroom Q example is one of my favorite ones. I think it's uh, the creativity is extra exciting. So uh, check it out. Give it some thought. Yeah, just to add one more thing. If you get really good at using slides and that's your go-to, all right, if you change that purpose, if you find a different use for it, you're still using all the, all the skills that you're very good at. So a teacher who could get very good at slides can be very technologically sound, okay? They're in the eyes of their students, in the eyes of the student's parents or guardians. So go find that thing that you really like that could be multifaceted, know it really well, and change it up. I think it's an awesome opportunity for you to stand out amongst your students, amongst their parents, and amongst your colleagues. So we thought we'd close out the episode in a slightly different 
way this time, and that is just sort of acknowledging this uh, educational technology world. It's such a it's such an exciting space. If you're listening to the show, you probably already know that, and you're involved with all the the Twitter chats that go on. You're on Instagram, and you're checking teacher hashtags and seeing what's out there. And it's so positive, and there's so many people, so many teachers, um, both active in education and outside of it for different uh, organizations and corporations. And it's such it's just exciting to be a part of. Um, and I guess with Thanksgiving coming up relatively soon, it kind of got Geis and I thinking about this world that we're a part of and, and about all of the support that you get every single day. It's it's unique in that there's so many different teacher websites and blogs and podcasts, um, but the it's, it's not a competitive market. Everybody is out there to help everybody else. We go on each other's podcasts. We blog about each other's pages. And I think that comes from you know, just being educators in general. You ju- you're really, we're doing this, right, to help students learn. And I think that kind of extends to our colleagues as well. Um, so we kind of just wanted to say thanks for all of the support that we've gotten from people in helping us build this show and our website and our blog and everything else it's led to. Um, and we'd like to encourage that if you're a listener of any other podcast or if you're a reader of any blog, uh, let those people know that you listen. Go, uh, just leave them a comment on a recent post, or reach out on Twitter. Throw a, throw a like or a rating on whatever their their website or their post or whatever they've done, just to kind of give them that support and let them know that people are out there. You're listening. You're getting something out of it, even if it's just an email to kind of you know say that same thing. If you're a listener of ours or you've read a, a post on our blog and you've thought that about us, you could do the same for the Got Tech podcast too. Whether it's subscribing, liking, rating us on iTunes would be awesome. Uh, we. We've recently also started putting all of our shows up on YouTube. So if you're a listener there, check it out. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a nice comment or even just reach out on social media, which uh, a lot of people do kind of let us know what you like, what you don't like, some topics you maybe want to hear about. I think the the interaction that we've gotten from doing all this is is one of the coolest parts because we've learned so many things and then we try to just share that out with the larger audience. So thank you to all those people. And uh, we kind of put together a list, right, guys, of some general shout outs we'd like to to throw out there today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've we've uh, I guess since the the uh, podcast day in September, International Podcast Day, we got some pretty cool opportunities that came our way, and we just wanted to say a, a quick thank you. And probably the most recent was Ray Hewitt, part of the Teach Better team. She posted uh, her twelve educational podcasts that that she's recommending at the time. The Teach Better team just had their Teach Better conference, and I was so jealous that we weren't able to make it out there. It just was a scheduling conflict for us, but uh, I heard a lot of great things. I was following the hashtag Teach Better 19. I can't wait for next year because I'm going to definitely make it out there one way or another. If I have to, you know, pay an Uber driver to take me out there or <laughs> or drive out there myself, I'm doing it. But uh, I, we, we wanted to throw a shout out to Ray because uh, she's showed us a lot of support as well as the uh, Teach Better team. Yeah, th- thanks, Ray, and the Teach Better team. It's been really awesome. I'd like to uh, throw a shout out to Anuj Agarwal. Anuj, if I'm saying your name wrong, I apologize, sir. Uh, Mr. Agarwal is from Feedspot, not necessarily an educational uh, blogger, but he did include us on a list of top 75 educational technology blogs and websites for educators in 2019. It's another one that we're excited to be a part of. Check out uh, Anuj on Twitter. It's at Anuj underscore Feedspot. He puts together, as part of Feedspot, he just kind of puts together uh, top lists of all the uh, blogs and websites and podcasts within a large variety of spaces. And uh, EdTech was just one of the recent ones. So thanks, Anuj. Uh, next up, Jeff Bradbury. He's an amazing talent within the 
educational field. He has a lot of podcasts, and we mentioned some of them before, but um, he invited me on Ask the Tech Coach podcast, where we talked about the importance of tech coaches focusing on function and not on application. So we'll hyperlink the uh, the link to that podcast that I was on last week, as well as uh, uh, he reached out and just asked a whole bunch of podcasters and tech coaches their advice on how tech coaches can help teachers embrace technology integration challenges. And we sent over a couple of lines for that. So thanks for including us on that. And then finally, I've been a part of uh, some Twitter chats, and I just want to throw two out there. Uh, these two, well, the one chat I'm on more regularly than any other chat and the other one i just liked the topic and i went on social media i went on twitter and i saw that it was happening and i hopped in and it was a great time and that one was uh hashtag pd for you and me and this was the october 26th twitter chat and i think it was uh hosted by at special techie uh which will be in our show notes as well go over there i thought the discussion for how to start podcasts and education whether it's for yourself or your students i thought that was an amazing topic we got a lot of great things out of it and the other one which you know i go there as much as i can uh sometimes it's right in the middle of putting the three kids down uh but sometimes i get them to bed a little early so i could catch catch it but usually i'm a little late to this one but i catch up quickly and that is mastery chat and that's with the teach better team and that is at 8 p.m eastern time on wednesdays and one thing i like about the mastery chat is before the chat they have whoever's guest hosting it they interview them on facebook live and then they also do a post chat facebook live uh not an interview but just like a recap so those are pretty amazing. So thanks everybody to who's helped us out. Thanks everybody who will help us out. Thanks everybody who will help us out. And thanks to all our supporters. Remember to rate your favorite people online or just let them know that you're a listener. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.